Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Again, Father, we give you great thanks for the magnitude of your love towards us. It continues to cause me to be in awe of you, to know that you know every silly thing about us, every mistake we've ever made or ever will ever will make, and yet your love for us is so deep, so wide, so strong, that it overwhelms, literally overwhelms any iniquity that would be in our lives. Truly, Father, it is by grace that we are saved, through faith in that grace. So, Father, I give you thanks again today for the opportunity to look in your word. I thank you, Father, again for your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I pray that you would indeed open up the eyes of our understanding and help us to see what is the hope of our calling. And what is the exceeding greatness of the power that is to us who believe? In the mighty name of Jesus, I thank you, Father, that you help us comprehend, understand, and put to work the truth of this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Second Corinthians, the 11th chapter. <clears throat> I feel like I haven't been up here for two weeks, three weeks. Well, I haven't been up here for three weeks, <laughs> think about it. But I've been teaching on deception uh, for four Sundays. And I'm going to finish it today, as it were. I'm going to finish up some stuff there. So I'm just going to, because I haven't been with you for a couple of weeks, I want to just share a couple of things that I read before. Howsoever, whatsoever lie, howsoever small it may be, the entrance of a lie, the entrance of a deception, creates division. In other words, you will not be, you will not have integrity. You'll not be sound. You'll not be whole. You'll not be full, complete. There will be a division. Deception brings division. Division brings delusion. The moment you enter to that, you begin, you allow, you don't realize it, but a spirit of delusion begins to take and begin to work in your soul and in your mind. Delusion leads to disruption. All manner of disruption begins to occur in your life. Your activities, whatsoever you put your hand to, doesn't prosper like it should because there's all this disruption and confusion in your mind. And finally, disruption will lead indeed to destruction in many cases. Lies are poison. I want you to hear the simplicity of that. Anything that's not a truth is a lie. That's simple enough. But lies are poison. And in the situation when it comes to this world we live in, these lies are very subtle. That's why the Bible says to beware with the scripture we're going to read here. It says beware of the subtlety of the devil. Subtlety. The devil doesn't walk in which is wearing a giant red suit with horns and a pitchfork and a long pointed tail, letting you know that he's the devil, that he's the seducer, that he's a deceiver. Remember, even Paul warned and he said that even Satan himself can be transformed into an angel of light. That's a strong, strong thing to teach on. Even Satan himself can be transformed into a uh, a minister of light into a minister of righteousness where it looks like he's something holy. The only measuring tool you and I actually have to live life by is this book. 
And this is what all life ultimately comes down to, that decision. Do we believe this is the word of God? Now, really, really, if if we actually believe this is the word of the one true God, then that should possibly just a little bit affect the way you live. I mean, I'm saying that, of course, because it, sh- it should be obvious. But this is what I mean. All faith, all faith comes down to that one issue. Do we actually believe this is the word of God? Or is it just a history book? Is it a philosophy is it something that we do on Sundays instead of play bingo or go to a football game? Or is it the Word of God? And if it is the Word of God, I mean, how vital, how absolutely important is it that it should have a place of priority in our lives? Really. You know, I've been in ministry now over 30 years, and the lives that I have seen destroyed. The marriages that I have seen, destroyed. Good people, started strong. But they allowed deception to come in. They began to believe a lie in some given area. And slowly, but ever so surely, those deceptions, those lies began to eat like gangrene. It's even what it says in Timothy in one place. They begin to eat like a cancer. That's what deception does. It eats like a cancer. The Bible even speaks to it as being a form of leprosy. Now, leprosy, the thing about leprosy is, well, all through the Old Testament, leprosy is a type of sin. Something that you never see on the outside first. It starts very, very small, little tiny mark. But it begins to work its way downward into the body. And you never know it's there until suddenly it erupts all over your body with all manners of ugly, horrible sores and things that you just don't want people to see. The smell is horrific. It's bad, really bad. And then is the deception of sin. Remember, even the word sin, It's a remember, it's an archery term. The Greek is hamartia. It's spelled H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A, as if you wanted to know that. But it literally is an archery term that means, quote, to miss the mark. It's, that's all it means. To miss the mark. We've all missed the mark at places, haven't we? But I guarantee you, we don't need a lot of other people helping us to miss the mark. <laughs> we missed the mark enough on our own, you know what I mean? But deception, all through the New Covenant, all through the epistles, the Pauline epistles, all through the pastoral epistles, Paul speaks so strongly about being careful about who you're listening to, who you're watching, who you're reading, because who you read and who you listen to begins to shape your future. And this is why you've got to ultimately become a student of the scripture for yourself. You can't live your life based upon Rod's faith, Judy's faith. You have to get your own faith, built on your own study of God's word. Amen? Really, amen? Do you hear that? You really, really do. Because, you know, this, uh, uh, anyhow. <laughs> Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 11. Starting to verse 1, Paul said, I wish, again, this is all from the Amplified Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've spoken to this several times, but I just wanted to take you through the word study this morning. 
I wish you could bear with me while I indulge in a little so-called foolishness, Paul said. Do bear with me. For I'm zealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy. For I I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3, the big one. But now I am fearful lest that even as, or the King James says just as, I'm fearful lest that even as the serpent beguiled beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds might be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Verse 4 says, For you seem readily to endure it if a man comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached. Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you once received. Or a different gospel from the one you then received and welcomed. You tolerate all that well enough. In other words, so what he's saying here is there's going to be people come. They're going to teach a gospel. Listen, they're going to teach a gospel that isn't the gospel. They're going to present a Jesus that isn't the Jesus that the Bible really speaks to. Okay? Now he said that that's happening today all over the world. There are people who are bringing the gospel down to some milk toast position where it's easy for people to take it and and eat it. There's nothing bitter to it. What I'm saying by that is just that people, it's like the whole thing, even this morning, I was listening to something about the many people who, many ministers around the world who, who, who simply say there is no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as a, a judgment for people after they die. And they preach all this stuff to the point that, again, people just gather around something that's all sweet cakes, cupcakes, and jelly, if you know what I mean. And the fact of the matter is there, there is a judgment that's coming upon the earth. There's a huge judgment coming upon America, I think, because, again, of their denial of Israel right now in this nuclear thing, settlement that they're making with Iran. It's crazy, absolutely insane. But we, in Christ, this is why you have to know who you are in the Bible. In Christ, the Bible says, we've already been judged. So we that are in Christ are safe. Hallelujah. But we're still supposed to live a life that is a word, that is a word would show Christ to others. People like, you know, the scripture says we are to be living epistles that are read of all men. And you are living epistles. Every one of you are an influencer. In some way, shape, or form, the people closest to you are being influenced by what's in your spirit. By what's in your spirit. That's why Rod and Julie are very careful about those whom we have close fellowship with. We enjoy fellowship broadly with anybody because we love. We're doing our best to love like Christ loved. And Christ loved sinners, so we love sinners. We don't love the sin, but we love the sinners. But when it comes to close fellowship... We do what Proverbs says, we guard our heart above all that we guard, because out of it proceed the issues of life. So we guard who we have very close fellowship with. We simply have to. I said we simply have to. Until we can know whether or not we're on the same page. And if you, that's, that's what the scripture teaches all through the Pauline epistles as well. He, he speaks about that. So we've been, like I said, I've already been doing this for four Sundays. But let me read verse 3 again. But now Paul says, I'm fearful lest it even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your mind should be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ. 
Now, allow me to read it from the King James. I have in my notes, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So maybe I should have put this on an overhead, but I didn't. The word beguile, you know, I used to do a lot of word studies, still do. But the word beguile, Paul says, I'm afraid that just like the serpent beguiled Eve, right? You all know the story of Adam and Eve. The word beguiled, it's a Greek word, it's called, it's exopateo. Again, not that I'm, you don't, I'm not giving you an exam afterwards, it's okay. But it's E-X-A-P-A-T-E-O, and it literally means this. Listen, it, the word beguiled means pleasant illusion. Satan, he said, lest Satan beguile you, lest he put something in front of you that's a pleasant illusion. It says that you might be beguiled by his subtlety. Now, this is the word that I really want to speak to in a bit. I've shared it in many, many messages because it's always been such a strong truth that I've seen from all those years ago. <clears throat> the word subtlety is panagoria. It's P-A-N-O-U-R-G-I-A. I never knew what sophistry was, but it literally says in Leonidas' lexicon, the art of sophistry, S-O-P-H-I-S-T-R-Y, like phila, philosophy, sophist, sophistry. And sophistry, this is the, well, the definition of the word panagoria is a false or presumptuous self-evaluation. It means the all-working, the, the, pre, the prefix P-A-N, pan, means all. Ergon means work, so it means the all-working. He's talking about how Satan functions, the all-working of Satan. The word sophistry, listen to this, quote, The art of debate, a method of argument that is seemingly plausible, though actually invalid and misleading. Debate for the sake of debate with the surety of truth not being important. Debate for the sake of debate with the surety of truth not being important. And in other words, he said, this is how the devil works. He said, I'm afraid for you that just like Eve was beguiled, a pleasant illusion. Another translation says seduced. Another translation says hypnotized. That just like Eve was beguiled by the subtlety of the devil, by the all-working, by the art of sophistry, the art of debate. And this is why, again, I've been you know, leading to some of this through all the previous four messages. You see, you've got to understand, particularly in this nation, this nation prides itself on academia. When I first came here, it was 30-some years ago, I remember the Lord telling me that he said, you're going to, you're going to really discover over here what sophisticated evil looks like. And I didn't know what he meant by that. But then as years went by, I saw the things, I saw the change. I can't give you the whole story, but I had good friends that had been ministering in India, good friends ministering in Africa. And, you know, they would come back and they would tell me all these horror stories about how they'd be praying for people that had devils and stuff. And their eyes would turn crosswise just like a cat physically. How they'd roll around on the ground, do all this kind of stuff, flip out before you, make all these screams, cries. All manner of things that took place that was legitimate. It would happen. I mean, you know, I could, I'm sure others in there could too. But I can tell you stories, um, proven stories about the power 
of the supernatural and the evil sense that take place, particularly like in Africa and some of the jungles of South America. You know, the Western mind wouldn't, they just, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe it if I told you there are people who can walk through that wall right now by command, that people can turn into a different animal. You say, now nah, that's movie stuff. No. It happens. It just doesn't happen over here. But I don't want you, I don't want you to get caught up in the, you know, oh my God about that. He said to me, the Lord, when I began to pray after I'd been here for years, and I felt like the first time I ever left England to go back home, I'd been here for about 12 months. And I got on that plane, and it wasn't just the relief I felt or just the sense of transitioning, you know. Okay, I'm going to go have a break for a bit. I felt like I'd been in a 16-month fist fight. I mean, this weight came off of me, and I thought, my God, what is all this? What's going on? And anyhow, I can't, like I said, it would take a whole series of teachings to go through that. But basically, he began to show me the sophistication of the evil that's in this nation. Now, again, don't freak out, but it's just that he, he, I, he taught me something that I've talked with several of my friends that have traveled over the years, and I've never had anybody tell me that this was an error. He said, God began to tell me that when in most of those nations where you see what we have called really heavy demonic manifestations, he said they weren't really strong demonic manifestations at all. And then he went on to tell me, don't anybody be insulted particularly here about this, but he said, the weaker the mind, the weaker the mind, the less educated the mind, the weaker the devil can be that can influence that mind. In other words, he said, it's, those are low-level devils. Very, you, know, and you know, Ephesians speaks about the four different levels of demonic activity. But he said, those are very low-level devils. He said, people that are just, they're, they're simple in the kindest sense of the term. Okay, so don't everybody get mad at me. But nevertheless, if you really begin to poll, Reinhard Bonnke did this too, if you really begin to poll many of the people in Africa and India and these places that have had those kind of manifestations, they say something like 98% of them have never had anything past a third grade education. And it just goes on from there, just that it takes a simple... Listen, the greatest, we all, hopefully we know this, the greatest battleground there is is the mind. So when it comes to England, here you have a nation that prides itself on academia. Oxford, Cambridge, two of the finest, highest seats of learning in the whole world. If you ask anybody in the world about a high level of education, Oxford and Cambridge will always come into the conversation. And in this nation, you see, a demonic manifestation isn't somebody going... That can happen. I've seen a few. <laughs> but over here, he said, this is, this is what a high-level devil looks like. And he just stopped me, and I was looking in the mirror, and I saw myself make this my face. He just went like this. He went. <laughs> in other words, there was this intensity of a stare. But what he meant was, see, it's this desire to get you into debate. We're just going to talk. I'm going to reason with you through my academic, by the power of my mind. I'm a strong thinker. I'm a clear thinker. I'm going to use logic. How can there be a God Look at if they're like what's his name that guy uh, what's the, what the, uh, Fry Stephen Fry like Stephen Fry you know he's a devout atheist and he said on television he said if there is a God 
And you can see what he said. How can there be a God? If there is a God, how can he? He must be the most morbid, debased God that could ever exist. Because look what happens to these young children in Africa. Look at all the poor people here. Look at what's going on in these nations. People have leprosy. People have cancer. Little bitty children. If there's a God, how can there be a good God when he allows things like that to happen? There is no God. But you see, again, this is the issue. At some point, you make the decision, do we believe this book or not? And the fact is, many don't. And many in this nation don't because they live by virtue of their reason. And you know, Isaiah, it says, come, let us reason together. Let us. But what people do that are very studious and have great and bright minds, they want to study together in such a way. Oh, I, you know, all I'm trying to get at is this. I can't belabor this. I, I, Paul said, I'm afraid that just like Eve was beguiled by the subtlety, the sophistry of the devil, that your mind should be corrupted away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Debate, sophistry. There are people who will, you know, I've read several passages over the last four times that I taught, and I'll share some more here to just read some off my notes. Paul, all through the scriptures, is exhorting you to watch out for people who just get you in one conversation after another about foolish things. Things that get you into a debate about something, quite frankly, you know, you may never have an answer for, answer to on this side of earth. You know what I mean? This side of heaven, rather. And he warns against it over and over again. Watch who you fellowship with. You know, don't fellowship with this kind of a man. Don't fellowship with these kind of people. Rebuke these things. Correct these things. Stay away from these things. They will only gender strife. Over and over again, he says this. And like I said, today, it's just really, it's been strong in my heart the whole few months because of just, there's a couple of wonderful people that I know that are now just full of poison. And like I've said before, and I'm not trying to draw sympathy, but it, it does hurt me. Because when you love somebody, and when you love somebody, and you actually know that you know that you know they're in deception, and you look them straight in the eye, and you can see they don't care what you say. They want to argue. They want to debate that they've lost their first love. They've just stepped 100% away from the simplicity that's in Christ. And it's because they have venerated the mind more than the spirit. You got to hear me. They they have made their ability to think logistically through, they have made that their God. And this is where the frustration comes in. Listen, the Bible says the just shall live by something called faith. But all of our life in careers, in school, in university, understandably, we're rewarded for our ability to reason, to to logically look, consider, you know, mathematical equations, blah, blah. I I was a chemistry minor. I know a little bit about what it means to have to have, you know, hundreds of hours of study into stuff and go and walk into the scientific method of thought until you think yourself past your brain. You'll get that later. He said, I'm afraid for you. That just like the subtlety of the devil, 
that your mind should be corrupted away with the simplicity of Christ, sophistry. It said in this old Webster dictionary, when it's when I looked up the word sophistry, the oldest dic- if you've got these old, old dictionaries from like 1880, 1890, never throw them away. They're one of the most valuable study tools you'll ever have. It says right there in Webster's, it says that in another one too, it says that Satan is the is the what's I'm trying to say? Satan, it says Satan, the supreme sophist. I always remember reading that. Satan, the supreme sophist. He just, he tries to dispute everything. Anyhow, I'm jealous over you with the godly jealousy. I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through the subtlety, the sophistry. He wants to get you in debate, debate, debate. He says that your mind might be corrupted. Now, the word corrupted in the Greek is spelled P-H-T-H-E-I-R-O, like plethereal. It means to shrivel, to spoil, to wither, to ruin, to slowly waste away, to seduce. That your minds might be corrupted, seduced away from the simplicity that's in Christ. The word simplicity is haplotes, H-A-P-L-O-T-S. It says singleness, the sincerity, the mental honesty. But this blew my mind. I'd never seen this before. The word simplicity, the characteristic of the psyche of heroes. I went, what? The characteristic of the psyche of heroes, simplicity, that your minds might be corrupted away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Now, again, we all know this, like I said, but this is where I have to preach it to. Paul said the one thing that he put this up as an example, when he said that your minds might be seduced or away, beguiled by the subtlety that just like, remember, just like Eve, Everybody say, just like. That just like Eve was beguiled. And that's where, again, you have to see. It's an interesting point. The first time I ever saw it, it blew my mind. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman. Now this is the Amplified. Satan said to the woman. These are the very first recorded words of Satan. The very first recorded words of Satan. Now, when you, if you go to a Bible college, they'll teach you something called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. It's a foundational truth that is bound or that is connected to all truth from that point on. In other words, like in this case, how does the devil actually work? And he says this, it says, Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said, you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? But the King James simply says this, hath God said? Now think about this for a moment. No matter how many times you that attend here have heard me say this, really, really think about this. The first recorded words that God wanted put in the scripture about how the devil works the way temptation comes is through a question. That right there, you should think about for about a year. He questions what? He questions your knowledge of what God hath said. Did you hear me? This is why you don't depend on the pastor's knowledge of the Bible. Do you know what is written? 
Because ultimately, that designs and defines your freedom and your future. Do you know what God said? Jesus Christ himself, this man we say we follow, remember, he's tempted in all three ways that temptation comes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, by Satan himself. And each time he tempted Jesus, Jesus did what? He came back with, it is written, it is written, it is written. That's how you overcome temptation. <laughs> Hath God said, very first recorded words, he questions your knowledge of what God has said. And when Eve answered, she answered some of what God said, but then she added something. What she said is, God hath said, God hath said that we should not we shall eat of every tree of the garden except this tree we shall not eat we shall not eat of it and then she added this part neither shall we touch it god didn't say anything about touching it now you say well that's splitting hairs well you know there's all these messianic jewish well actually just jewish hasidic commentaries and stuff that when you read them it says that they'll they'll say that's exact that when eve said neither shall you touch it they said that Satan, who evidently was able to walk upright then, also, they, it's written, it just, now I'm not saying it's true, I'm just saying this is what they've written. They've written that he basically just kind of bumped her into the tree and said, touch it, you know. And they would touch the tree, it's not going to kill you. But the point is, the moment, listen, I know you know this, but you don't know this. The moment Eve listened to the question and allowed the question to begin to work in her mind, the deception began to enter, and death began to fester. Do you really understand that? Spiritual death, spiritual death, remember in the scripture, death never means the cessation of existence. Death always means, it's always the word separation. That the moment the lie came, the moment she began to rally in her mind and think about it, when have she opened the door to deception and separation Spiritual death is simply separation from the presence of God. She began to be separated from truth. And Paul says, this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid for all of you that you'll allow yourself to get beguiled. That somebody will preach a Jesus that isn't Jesus. Somebody will preach a gospel to you that isn't the gospel. And this is why, again, everybody needs to be a student of the Word of God for themselves. They need to understand what the book says, because particularly in the last days, it speaks so strongly about all the deceivers that are going to rise up. All, again, Jesus said, remember I shared in the other ones, he said, be, be, be absolutely assured of this, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, it's a wolf in your church, but this wolf looks just like a sheep. It's in sheep's clothing. You might be sitting next to a wolf. Everybody look at your neighbor. <laughs> pinch him and see if, pinch him. What you do is you pinch him and you see if they go, or if they go, or if they go, I figured that's what you do, right? But there'll be wolves in sheep clothing. 
So when you're in ministry, you can't sit up here and be, you know, scared to death about people. You just lock into the truth. You preach the truth, but you do have to become aware. And you learn to listen. And you learn to look at people's faces. And I mean that. What I mean is I look, you know, if you're saved, normally your face kind of reflects it. I mean, if you're really saved, seriously. That's why I love I'm Mike Powell sitting over there on a joke. But I love Mike Powell when he's up there playing bass all the time. He's got this. And, you know, Fermi's the same thing on the drums, you know. And even Mike Brown, wherever he gets, Mike gets up and he gets, there he is sitting back there hiding. You know, I just love the fact that they're, you know, they're just smiling. Emmanuel, they just, you know, people, you can see that something's happened in their life. But then there's other people that are Christian. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm aware that people are at different levels of faith and understanding. And it's okay to have questions. Dear God, I tell people all the time that if they, they think it's strange that I can't answer some of their questions. But the greatest liberty that ever came to me is years ago when I realized I could say, I just don't know. They think when you're a Bible teacher, you have an answer for everything. No, (laughs) one doesn't. But when people come to me with questions and I'm able to answer them, there's a couple of ways I take it. I said, well, I could answer that. But I said, it's taken me 31 years of study. And I can't give you 31. You know, Pete and Ann have been directors of Bible schools and everything else back in South Africa. They've kind of been around the Bible like us for 30, 40 years. And people want us to answer questions that has taken us 40 years to discern, to comprehend by God's spirit, bringing a little more light upon light upon light. But then there's other people that just flipping just love to argue. They want to argue every single point. And when I look at them, I think about my, I just have to think, you know, I don't, I don't even know if that person is saved. And I'm not being mean. I'm not judging them. But I'm have, I have to be aware. And then I know those people, I just need to pray. I just need to pray a lot more for them. When the day star truly, when you're born again, the day star arises in your heart and you've got some joy about your life. You really do. There's something that you know, that you know, that you know on the inside. That circumstances, you just, you know, whatever, the car blows up, I may freak out, but tomorrow I'm cool. I really am. I've had my car blow up. You know, we've all had, you know, you're getting brisk ready to do something, dishwasher or the washing machine breaks, you know, and I can't get my wife to, to wash all my clothes and hang them out on a line. You know what I mean? I try, but she just says, do it yourself, sweetheart. <laughs> no, that's okay, because that's what she, no, that's what she should say. That's what she should say. It's okay. But you know what I'm trying to say? Something blows up and boy, you lose your peace in a New York second. But when you actually are hooked up to eternity, whatever happens, it kind of goes away pretty quick. It's no big deal. It's, not, it's nothing compared to the eternity that we have in our heart. We are born again. I mean, we have eternal life. Right now, right now, the Bible says, now are you holy before the Lord by virtue of your faith in Christ Jesus. Again, you've already been judged righteous by your belief in Jesus Christ. You've been cleansed. You've been made whole by the blood of the Lamb. The judgment that's coming upon the world is not coming upon you. That's supposed to make you smile. You're supposed to feel a little bit better. But it also, at the same time, that's what makes you hurt for people that are deceived. That just keep blocking the truth. 
People want to understand before they believe. That's the lifting up of the mind. That's the idolatry of, of the thought life. You don't understand God and then get involved. Who are you to think that in your flesh and blood body you can understand the creator of all the universes? He's a little bit above you. Just a touch. You know what I mean? But see, when you're raised in academia, or to really value logic and value the, your ability to reason and think things through, which the world rewards you for, it's so easy to, you don't mean to, but you take that and you use that first when you read this. And you don't understand that some things you literally do take by faith. You believe without having seen. I said you believe without having seen. And like a man said to me, I can't remember who it was all those many years ago, but I love He said the Bible was never meant to be explained. It was meant to be believed. But you see, here, we come, we don't mean to, but we come like this. If you can help me to understand this, Pastor Anderson, I'll come to church. I'll get involved. I'll get involved if you can help me understand. And I have to look back at him with all the love I can muster and say, no, you have to come get involved and then the understanding will come. You've got it backwards. The world says, when I see it, I believe it. God says, when you believe it, it's when you start to see it. The world says, when, I, when you can make me understand, I'll get involved. Jesus says, when you get involved, you'll start to understand. Hallelujah. Anyhow. Hath God said, think about that, the root, the root, 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 the lowest common denominator of all deception always begins with a question that puts itself in opposition to the known will of God. This is why very simply, if somebody walks up to me and says something, Rod, I'd like you to try this. I want you to drink a fifth of Jack Daniels tonight. It'll bring you some comfort. Well, having done that a few times, no. <laughs> I, you know, I know because of my past life what they're talking about. But, you know, when you begin to walk with the Lord, you know, you know, you know that that's the most... That's the most foolish thought I could ever entertain. Anyhow, deception. Let me just go on. I'm going to read a bunch of stuff. Let me read this again. I've said it in the very beginning, but I must say the greatest deception, remember, is a half-truth. It continues to astound me that people and deception always make statements like, quote, but this part you have to agree is true. Of course it is. Any great deceiver uses some or much truth to catch you or fire you up towards thinking like they want you to think. Hitler did it, Jim Jones did it, and a whole lot of other people that you could think of. You know what I mean? They all did it. That's how it was. How to be deceived. I put this on here. I just thought, how to be deceived. Linger too close to bad influences. You can take notes of this if you want to be deceived. Okay, this is how to be deceived. So you came to church to learn how to be deceived. Right, Ann? Is that okay? 
Number one way to be deceived, I would say, is linger too close to bad influences. Number two, don't ask good questions. And always ask the kind of question like this. Does what you're talking about bring unity? Or does what you're talking about divide? And more importantly, does what you're trying to argue, does it ultimately produce peace? Or does it produce division? Number three, how to get deceived? Closed ears. Some people simply choose to stay in their deception. That's why the Bible says that stubbornness is as witchcraft to the Lord. I know there's nobody in here that's stubborn, right? Sorry. And of course, number four, how to be deceived? Don't pray. Just don't pray. If you walk in communion with God, that's what communion means. You talk to God. Always pray and ask the Holy Spirit's guidance before listening to some new doctrine. And again, does it bring peace? Even in Acts, actually turn to Acts chapter 20 real quickly. Who knows, I might work a miracle here and get done a little bit early. Never done it yet, but you never know. Acts 20. And I'm just going to start reading for the Amplified Bible in verse 24. Paul says, well, I'll start in verse 22. Acts 20, verse 22. Paul says, and now you see I'm going to Jerusalem bound by the Holy Spirit and obligated and compelled by the convictions of my own spirit, not knowing what will befall me there, except that the Holy Spirit clearly and emphatically affirms to me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering await me. I was laughing when I read that verse. He's being led by the Spirit. Wouldn't you? I know that that's what you do. You would jump and shout for joy if the Holy Spirit spoke to you and said, just so that you know, every place you go, you're going to be imprisoned. You're going to get beaten up. And you say, glory to God, let's go. Right? Hallelujah. So Paul says that again, except that the Holy Spirit clearly and emphatically affirms to me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering with me. Verse 24. God give us this kind of an attitude. He says, but none of these things move me. Hallelujah. Neither do I esteem my life dear to myself. If only I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have obtained from, which was entrusted to me by the Lord Jesus faithfully to attest to the good news gospel of God's grace, his unmerited favor, spiritual blessing and mercy. Verse 25, and now observe, I perceive that all of you, among whom I have gone in and out, will proclaim, among whom I have gone in and out, proclaiming the kingdom, that you'll see my face no more. Verse 26, therefore I testify. Now this is, in other words, he's saying, I'm never going to see you again. So he's about to impart something to some people that are very important to him. Verse 26, therefore I testify and protest to you on this day, our parting day, that I am clean and innocent and not responsible for the blood of any of you. For I never shrank or kept back or fell short from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan and counsel of God. And what's the next verse say? Take care for yourselves and the whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you bishops and guardians to shepherd, to tend, to feed, to guide the church of the Lord or of God, which he obtained for himself, buying it and saving it for himself with his own blood. Why? Verse 29. I know... Very strong positive. I know that after I am gone, ferocious wolves will get in among you, not sparing the flock. Even from among your own selves, men will come to the front 
who by saying perverse, distorted, and corrupt things will endeavor to draw away the disciples after them to their own party. Verse 31, therefore be always alert on your guard. This is what anybody in ministry has to be like. And it's a hard line because you want to walk in love. But at the same time, you have to have this something in your spirit that when you meet people, that you can discern, you know, their spirit. I'm not saying that you immediately go, hmm, I discern a bad spirit and you get out. <laughs> no, no, it just means that you, like, like Paul said in Corinthians, he said, once we knew Jesus after the flesh, but henceforth know we no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. He wants us to be spiritual enough. We that are called to pulpit ministry, he wants us to simply be spirit, spiritual enough, sensitive enough to the Lord that we can, as it were, discern the spirit that people speak from. But this is why we teach the love walk so much. The first question I ask myself is when people speak, do they speak from a revelation of love? Is there any kind of love attached to this discussion? This, like I said, like a couple of people that I know right now, you know, everything that they're holding on to, this philosophy that they're grasping, it just ends in strife. It's all trying to prove something, that somebody's better than others and somebody's worse than others. That's not God. That's not what you live for. He said, for among your own selves, men will come to the front who by saying perverse, distorted, and corrupt things will endeavor to draw away disciples after them to their own party. Therefore, be always alert and on your guard, being mindful that for three years I never stopped night or day seriously to admonish, advise, and exhort you one by one with tears. And now, brethren, I commit you to God. Isn't that wonderful? I deposit you in his charge entrusting you to his protection and care. And I commend you to the word of his grace, to the commands and counsels and promises of his unmerited favor. Why? It, the revelation of grace, it is able to build you up and to give you your rightful inheritance among all God's set-apart ones, those that are consecrated, purified, and transformed of soul. Hallelujah. There's just so much there. But Paul warns about these. She turned to Titus, the first chapter. Titus is right after 2 Timothy. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1st, blah, 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 blah. Titus, chapter 1. Difficult to know where to start. Let me start in verse 7 anyhow. I'm just getting, I have to read a lot here, but I'm going to finish in this aspect here. Um, again, this is a pastoral epistle, but this is one that everybody should read often, over and over again. Uh, <laughs> I'm hesitating because, again, knowing where to start. Verse 7, for the bishop and overseer as God's steward must be blameless, not self-willed or arrogant or presumptuous. He must not be quick-tempered or given to drink, or pugnacious, brawling, or violent, or lover of rugby. He must not be... Sorry, I just thought I'd throw that out. Just wanted to see if you guys were actually listening or not. He must be a lover of goodness. Of good, oh, I'm sorry, go back to verse 7. He must not be quick-tempered, or given to drink, or pugnacious, brawling, violent. He must not be grasping and greedy for filthy lucre or financial gain. But he must be hospitable, loving, and a friend to believers, especially to strangers and foreigners, 
he must be a lover of goodness, of good people and good things. Sober-minded, sensible, discreet, upright, fair-minded, a devout man, religiously correct, temperate, and keeping himself in hand. That's what all of us have to be to really qualify to stand behind one of these things. That's why, again, Peter Bellingham is one of those. Anne is one of those. David Martin is one of those. And I'm sure there's others here, to say the least. But I'm just saying, this is why I tell all the pastors that I still work with, you need to read this over and over and over again, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Verse 9, he must hold fast. He must hold fast to the sure and the trustworthy word of God as he was taught it, so that he may be able both to give stimulating instruction and encouragement in sound and wholesome doctrine and to refute and convict those who contradict and oppose it, showing the wayward their error. Why? Verse 10. For there are many disorderly and unruly men who are idle, vain, empty, and misleading talkers. You see, you think this is a bunch of words. Listen, your whole future depends on who you have close ties with. You know, there's... I taught a whole series years back on wrong associations, how many scriptures it talks about what will happen. You, your life depends on who you have close, close fellowship with. And we all know, don't we, there, we have many acquaintances, but we have few friends. There's a great difference between having a, and so, and, you know, somebody that we know and having somebody that we know. You know what I mean? It's okay. But there are many disorderly and unruly men who are idle, vain, empty, and misleading talkers and self-deceivers and deceivers of others. This is true, he says, especially of those of the circumcision party who have come over from Judaism. In other words, they've come over from, a, from the previous faith, the previous generation of thought, and they brought in some bad things with them. But it's interesting the thing here that he actually speaks to. He said, verse 11, he said, their mouths must be stopped. For they are mentally distressing and subverting whole families by teaching what they ought not to teach for the purpose of getting base advantage and disreputable gain. He gives an example. I used to laugh at this all the time. Just the way it's written. One of their very number, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, hurtful beasts, idle and lazy gluttons. And the next verse says, and this account of them is really true. So I would always read that by saying, I guess it's true. All those Cretans were lazy, liars, beasts, and gluttons. But listen to what he's saying. He said, people were talking. Anyhow, in verse 13, he says, and this account of them is really true. Now, when you look at this and do a word study here, it's, he's speaking to the strength of what it means that these people basically are judging, very simply, other people that might be doing some things wrong. But their spirit is to condemn. I hope you catch this. Their spirit is to somehow put you down that they might be lifted up. That's the whole issue, the whole difference. When God's in the room, I guarantee you he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Even when you're corrected, 
Even when you're rebuked by God, it lifts you up. The difference is in the spirit of the speaker. I've had people rebuke me, and it hurt like hell. I've had people rebuke me, and I felt like I was given an ice cream cone. And that's the truth, because of the, the spirit that they carried. I knew that they loved me. And I knew that they were trying to bring some help to me. And I knew that they loved me enough to look me straight in the eye and tell me something that I knew already, but somebody else just needed to tell me to stop or to start. You hear me? But he said, this account of them is really true because it is true. Rebuke them sharply, deal sternly, even severely with them, so that they may be sound in the faith and free from error and may show their soundness by ceasing to give attention, on this case, by ceasing to give attention to Jewish myths and fables or to rules laid down by mere men who reject and turn their backs on what? On the truth. And I'm going to finish, I think, with this next verse. Maybe I'll read the both verses. But verse 15. When you see what Paul's heart is, when he's speaking to this about how you live, how you interact between others, the holiness that there is about ministry, ministering the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, verse 15, to the pure in heart. You know, and this is what it means, like, why he would never call somebody a, call a Cretan lazy, a gluttonous, this or whatever. He said, to the pure in heart, to the pure in heart and conscience, all things are pure. But to the defiled and corrupt and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are defiled and polluted. And this is what, what he's speaking to here is when people have made a flipping decision to believe this philosophy. Bless God, you know, if you don't get baptized 14 times, if you aren't dunked 14 times in baptism, you're going to hell. I'm serious. You know, there are people that are still like that. If you're not baptized in the name of Jesus only, you're going to hell. Or like I said, these other people that are just, they're hooked on to some way of thinking. They've got themselves a cause that they're believing in right now. Some philosophy that has nothing to do with Christ. Has something to do with maybe a political party out there, a political issue here, a political issue there. Listen, those are all fine. Debate them, talk about them. You can reason with those one to another. But the moment you start feeling hatred, and don't tell me people don't. The moment you start feeling enmity or bitterness against a group, a people group, you're not going to touch them with God's love. You hear me? You're operating from another spirit that's not God's spirit. That's why, you know, it's hard. <laughs> It's hard to hate somebody you pray for. And this is why I know when people go, man, they're angry, just angry. But like, oh, Lord, I've got a right to be angry. I've got a right to be in unforgiveness. Hell no. Excuse me. That's okay. I'm just, the Bible talks about hell, so I can say hell in the church. But you know what I mean? Totally. No, you know, unforgiveness. I'm not going to forgive. You don't know what they did to me. Well, what do you do? Well, you, you can't do anything as long as they're holding on to that. But you try to bring them back to the truth. The issue isn't what they did to you. The issue is what Christ did for you. Why do you want to walk in a situation where, I know you heard of this stuff, but when, why do you want to walk for the next five years of your life holding on to something that happened five years ago in your life that will never produce any fruit in your life? Why do you hold on to a pain? Why do you continue to add value to their ignorance? By you holding unforgiveness. See, it just don't make sense. But until you actually say, I believe what God says, I'm going to forgive. 
Do I feel like it sometimes? Of course not. Are you kidding me? You think you guys got problems. <laughs> when you get in ministry, you've got 14 people that think you're a devil because you don't preach what they want you to preach. You got, you know, it's just, it's a trip. You have to just, you just smile. After a while, you just realize, you know, I, I can't answer everybody's accusation. I'm not called to. I've learned a long time ago, I'm not supposed to live by other people's criticism. After all, look how close to perfect I am. Uh, but I'm just, just listen to what he said. To the pure in heart, when you're walking close to God, it's very difficult to be offended. Because to the pure in heart, everything's pure. But this is when you recognize people who aren't pure in heart, because to them, everything has a defilement to it. Nothing is pure. And it says their very minds and consciousness are defiled. Verse 16, they profess to know God, to recognize, perceive, and be acquainted with him, but they deny and disown and renounce him by what they do. Hmm. Now, I didn't write this. How many of you know, like I always say, my name's Rod, his name is God, that's where the resemblance ends, right? Right? Amen? Verse 16, they profess to know God and to recognize, perceive, and be acquainted with him. But they deny and disown and renounce him by what they do. They are detestable and loathsome, unbelieving, disobedient, and disloyal, and rebellious, and they are unfit and worthless for good work, deed, or enterprise of any kind. Hallelujah. Anyway, let me just read the first verse, chapter 2. He says, but as for you, teach what is fitting and becoming to sound whole doctrine, the true character and the right living that identify true Christians. Amen? Amen. I'm just trying to share with you that I'm trying to share with you that you need to read your Bible. Okay? I said you need to read your Bible. Listen to many sermons. Find favorites, that's good. But read your Bible yourself. And understand that the Holy Spirit is truly the ultimate teacher. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the mature or adult sons of God. And I'll throw this out just to, I'm finished, I'm going to pray, so worship team, you can come up if you want. But I throw this out to really upset some of you. I'll let Pete and Ann answer this in a couple of weeks. But according to that verse in Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit, in other words, that you begin to, you live your life based upon the prompting of the Spirit. It says they are the weos, the Greek word means mature sons of God. Anybody that gets saved, if you actually get saved, you are a child of God. Technos. But not everybody is weos, a son of God. In other words, guys, it's by eating spirit food that your spirit grows up and you become stronger and you move through all the spiritual Mechanisms just like your physical body. Once you were an infant, then you were a toddler, 
then you could walk and do your stuff, and then you were a teenager, an adolescent, and then you were a young adult, and at some point, hopefully, you become an adult, right? God made us that way. It's the same way in things of the Spirit. So nobody has to get rebuked, but you just need to learn. If you're older in the Lord, you recognize people that are younger in the Lord. But just like your own children, you know, when a child is two years old and knocks stuff over all the time, you know, it's no good doing this. Would you watch your age? Two-year-olds act in this age, you know. You know what I mean? They're acting their age. No, you just learn. That's where they're at. So you love them, you cuddle them. And you know babies are real good because babies, we have a lot of spiritual babies in church. And spirit and babies poop their diapers a lot. But you don't kick them out of the church. You just realize they just pooped your diapers. Some of the stuff they come up and they say, blah, blah, I've had people talk to me, ah, you don't, and you don't, if you, ah. And uh, I learned this from Copeland all those years ago. And they walk off, and you sit there sometimes going, man, God, all this stuff. And the Lord, like, taps you on the shoulder and says, don't worry about it, son. They're just a spiritual baby. All they did was just spit up all over you. Just wipe it off. Just wipe it off. It's just spit up. See, you're not laughing because you're not in ministry. <laughs> Anyhow, Father, we give you thanks that you've given us your word and that this word begins to carve out a space in our heart and our spirit where only truth can fit. And I thank you, Father, that in the name of Jesus, you said in the last days, great, great deception was going to come upon the earth. Gross deception. Many Jesuses will arise that are not Jesus. And Father, we simply pray that as we continue to meditate on your word, study this New Testament, read, give it priority in our life where it needs to be, not have it as a secondhand message, but study it for ourselves, look into it, pray over it every time we read, pray first. Holy Spirit, teach me, show me, reveal to me stuff as I read. Father, that you will raise up an army of people that really do know in whom they have believed. People that will not be deceived. People that not will, will simply not bow down to a, a deception that's in this world. But they'll walk uprightly before you. They'll walk clean before the Lord. Hallelujah. Clean before you. So I give you thanks for this body of people. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.